1: Now enjoy this broadcast of Hope and Faith Ministry, brought to you from People's Baptist Church of Boston.
2: So today I will be speaking on uh, the topic, times when we need to pray. Times when we need to pray, and it comes from James chapter 5, 13 through 20. Prayer is one of the most fundamental disciplines of the Christian life. It is also one of the most neglected disciplines. We talk a lot about prayer. We read books about prayer. We listen to sermons on prayer. And yet it is the area of our greatest failure. A lot of us are not satisfied with our prayer life. James, in the closing chapter of his letter, addresses this issue. He recognizes that the Christian life is made up of triumph and tragedy, of sorrow and of joy. Illness and sickness trips us up and sin entangles us. We never know what to expect. Life is totally unpredictable. Anyone who has had an accident or has had a family member suddenly get ill can attest that life can change radically in just a matter of seconds. James, in this last section of his letter, chapter 5, 13 through 20, mentions three different situations of life when we really need to pray. First, James says, pray during times of trouble. Verse 13, if you are having trouble... You should pray. That's the contemporary English version. And the New Living Translation, second edition, says, Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. It is not long for a new believer to recognize that the Christian life is not a bed of roses, that Christians get tired, they get hurt, they get ill. They have troubles of one kind or another. The life, even though we are Christians, can be difficult. For many Christians, or many new Christians, that realization can be shocking because so often God is portrayed as a supernatural Santa Claus who also happens to guarantee immunity from all trouble. So when they see that Christians do not always have a good health, wealth, and happiness, they are disappointed. Well, the clear testimony of Scripture is that God does promise us health, wealth, and happiness, but not always in this life. Does he have the ability to give us those things in this life? Absolutely. Does he sometimes choose to give us those things in this life? Yes, he does. But the Bible reminds us that our true promise of health will be realized when our mortal bodies have been made immortal. And that our wealth is measured not in dollars and cents, but by eternal riches and joy that will be found in the presence of Christ for eternity. In fact, sometimes quite the opposite of health, wealth, and happiness is promised. We are told in the scriptures that we should expect trouble. We should expect persecution. We are told by Paul that our present sufferings cannot be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us or that is awaiting us. The Christian life has its ups and downs. It's good times and bad. It won't be all bad, but God never promises that it will be all good. So James acknowledges that there will be times of trouble among the children of God, those who name the name of Christ. James would have been familiar with the book of Psalms, where David said in Psalm 34 and verse 4, I ask the Lord for help. And he saved me from all my fears. When we are in trouble, we should pray for wisdom, pray for strength, pray for the removal of the trouble, if it is the Lord's will. We have the privilege of prayer where we can go to our Heavenly Father at any time, in any situation, with whatever is on our hearts. Frankly, I don't know how people can go through life and face hard times without the Lord in their lives. The Bible is clear that trouble or suffering is normal in the Christian life for the believer in Christ. Peter puts it rather bluntly in 1 Peter 4, 12 and 13. Peter says, dear friends, don't be surprised or shocked that you are going through testing that is like walking through fire. Be glad for the chance to suffer as Christ suffered. It will prepare you for even greater happiness when he makes his glorious return. But even though we know that life is never easy, that there are trials and tribulations that we have to deal with. There are times when we can give way to self-pity and get resentful and discouraged. But when we sense that the pressures of life, the troubles and the trials that we have to go through are greater than we can bear, James says, pray. Pray. That this is one way in which we can deal with the situations that we have to face in our lives from day to day. Pray in the time of trouble. See, God knows what we are going through, and He wants us to come to Him for help in our times of need. But secondly, James says, pray for those who are sick. Verses 14 and 15. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Now, these two verses have been used to promote all sorts of strange and unbiblical teachings. Such teachings arise when the overall context of James and the Scriptures as a whole is ignored. The simplest way for me to explain the meaning of these verses is to first tell you what they do not mean. First, they do not mean that if someone is sick and The elders of the church pray for them that they will automatically be healed. They do not say that those who do not recover from uh, from their sickness are somehow lacking in faith. Name it and claim it preachers say that it is always God's will for everyone to be healed. Sickness, they say, is a result of sin, and Christ died on the cross to remove our sins. Therefore, as a believer, you have the right to claim healing, and God will heal. If you are not healed, they tell us, you are lacking in faith, which leaves a sick person with a lot of guilt for not having enough faith. Well, the truth of Scripture is that God heals physically whom he chooses to heal, and our activity does not obligate God to do anything. The Lord does as he wills. He is sovereign. He knows exactly our situation. And so gathering elders uh, to pray, anointing with oil, or praying fervently, does not mean that the person will be healed. We know that. We've seen it throughout our lives. The Lord does as he pleases. It is not an automatic ticket to healing or else every believer would be healed. No one would ever die. So what about this verse? The focus is on what the church can do when there is sickness in the body of Christ. What should we do as a church for the sick? The answer is both simple and and profound. There are at least three steps in the process of praying for the sick. Step one the sick person calls for the elders of the church. Now, the word sick is very broad, it includes any serious physical, mental, emotional, or spiritual problem that has become too heavy for us to bear. The elders are called because they represent the church and because they know how to get in touch with God. They have knowledge of God's power and have been in conversation with him often and so they can pray fervently for the sick. The calling for the elders of the church implies the importance of belonging to a local church. Every Christian needs to identify with a particular body of believers. Why? Why? There are many reasons, but one good reason is that when you get sick, you can't call on the, the preachers that you listen to on radio or um, watch on television. They won't be there for you. But the local body of, of Christians will be there to support you, and we do that constantly here at People's Baptist Church. Every day we, we pray for those who are ill. Not only individually, but collectively, we get together. This is a part of what we do, especially on Sunday evenings for the past uh, three-plus years. At 6 o'clock, we gather together simply to, to pray for those who we know are, um, are ill and in need of God's healing touch. In the New Testament, there is no such thing as a free-floating Christian who would float from church to church. Every Christian was a member of a specific local church. Now the value of it is that when you are in need, there are people to care for you, to respond to you, to pray with you and to pray for you. But the second step is that the elders, not as plural, not just one elder, but the elders, plural, go to the sick person thus communicating the message that the church has not forgotten those who are sick but are interested in what's going on in their lives and want to pray for them, to identify with them. And step three, the elders pray and anoint with oil. Well, in the New Testament, oil was used in the healing of a person as we use medicine today. Remember the story of the Good Samaritan when he found the man wounded at the side of the road? He applied oil and wine to his wound and then bandaged him up. There's nothing magical or supernatural about anointing with oil. It is a reminder that all all healing must come from God. It builds our faith when we use the oil and says to the sick person, God is here and is able to heal you. But notice that the anointing is to be done in the name of the Lord. Now this is very important because it reminds us that God is the ultimate source of all healing. The power is not in the elders, it is not in the oil, it is not even in the prayers, but in the name of the Lord. Since oil had a medicinal property to it, the first century Christians to whom James was writing would um, understand this to mean that God heals through prayer and medicine. He does that today, not just through prayer, but also through uh, through medicine. Whether quickly or slowly, by miracle or by medicine, or by some combination of the two, God is able to heal his children as he sees fit. But keep in mind that not every sick person we pray for is made well. The fact of the matter is that every person born into the world is terminal. If every person we prayed for was healed, then none of our family members or friends or brothers and sisters in Christ would ever die. The Reverend Dr. Tony Campolo, a professor, a former professor of uh, sociology at Eastern University in Pennsylvania, he's now deceased, but he told uh, about being in a church in Oregon where he was asked to pray for a man who had cancer. Dr. Campola prayed boldly for the man's healing. The next week, he got a telephone call from the man's wife. She said, "You prayed for my husband, he had cancer." And Dr. Kamola thought the wife was going to report that the husband's cancer was eradicated, But she said he died. And um, Dr. Campola felt terrible about it. But she continued, don't feel bad. When my husband came into the church that Sunday, he was filled with anger. He knew he was going to be dead in a short time, and he hated God. He was angry that this all-powerful God couldn't heal him or didn't heal him. He would lie in bed and curse God. The more his anger grew toward God, the more miserable he was to everybody around him. It was awful to be in his presence as his wife. But after you prayed for him, a peace came over him and a joy came into his heart. The last three days of his life have been the best of our lives. We have sung, we have laughed, we have read scripture, we have prayed together, and oh, those were wonderful days. And I called to thank you for laying your hands on him and praying for his healing. And then she said something very profound, and you can have time to reflect on it. She said, he wasn't cured, but he was healed. number 3 pray for those who wander from the truth verses 19 and 20 my dear brothers and sisters says james if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins the focus here moves from the elders praying for those who are sick uh, to everyone praying for each other there are two kinds of people in view in these verses the first group is those people who are true believers and involved in the fellowship of the church but are caught up in some sin or false teaching. And it is our duty, says James, to pray for those whom we know are struggling with sin. Then there will be people who for a time are associated with the, with the church, then leave and abandon the faith altogether. And after 42 years or 43 years, I've seen so much of that. And while we, are, we aren't a judge of their eternal destiny, we are told by James to pray for them and to share the good news of salvation so that if they were not saved, they can be saved and brought back into the fold uh, of the church. If you know people who have wandered away from the truth, don't write them off, but pray for them. And as I thought about this, I thought of the children and grandchildren of many of you, and of even myself, who were brought up in the church. They grew up in Sunday school. They heard the message of the gospel. They responded. They were baptized, and they came into the church. And then either they left for college or they, they grew up and started working and forgot altogether about the church and about the truth of God. It's as though they had never heard anything about, about, about God in the way they live their lives afterwards. And we need to pray for them. Pray for our children and our grandchildren that they will come back to know the Lord and to and to trust him and to serve him. Oh, this is something that we ought to do as families. Uh, for our children and our grandchildren and our even great-grandchildren. They need our prayers. Each day we should lift them up before the Lord and ask the Lord to bring them back to the place where they can experience the grace and the mercy of God and uh, we can rescue them from destruction. So James is, is telling us that we are to pray during times of trouble. We are to pray for those who are sick. And we are to pray for those who wander from the truth. Those, for whatever reason, they are living in sin because somehow the devil has gotten on their case and they have given up on God, um, perhaps at least temporarily. But we need to be talking to them and praying for them. And lastly, we are to pray because prayer works. Notice verses 16 through 18. James says, The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was as human as we are, and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, None fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. Now some people think that you have to be a spiritual giant to pray and get great answers. I could never pray and see somebody healed, or I could never pray and see a financial miracle, some people say. When many Christians are unaware of the access that they have to their Father in Heaven, there is access that has been brought for us or brought to us because of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. All of us now can go to God any time of the day or night, and he will hear us because of who we are. We are his blood-bought children He has loved us eternally and will always love us. And he says, call on me and I will answer you. James uses Elijah as an illustration. He said, the lesson of Elijah's life is that you don't have to be perfect to see answers to your prayers. Elijah was just like us. He was human. He had his faults and his failures. And his human prayer initiated a great move of God in the nation of Israel. Our prayers have the same powerful potential to initiate a great move of God when we pray according to his will. We should pray for a country, pray for a community, pray for all that is happening because prayer is important and God responds to the prayers of his people prayer has power because of the one to whom we pray the late dr donald gray barnhouse of 10th presbyterian church in philadelphia a church that i attended at uh, some point in my student career but he told his congregation that prayer changes nothing and you can imagine the surprise of the people hearing their pastor say prayer changes nothing but the point that dr Barnhouse is making is that prayer doesn't change things. God changes things. The Reverend Dr. Peter Marshall, a former chaplain of the United States Senate, is said to have prayed uh, in one of his Senate prayers. He says, Lord Jesus, forgive us for thinking that prayer is a waste of time. And help us to see that without prayer, all else we do is a waste of time. Through prayer... Christians have opened the windows of heaven, claimed the promises of God, experienced the joys of heaven, and uncovered the secrets of eternity. Throughout the centuries, Christians have discovered that prayer is the road over which travels the grace, the mercy, and the peace of God toward them. They have discovered that prayer is the gateway through which flows God's abundant supply to meet their every need. They have discovered that prayer is the key that unlocks the treasures of heaven, that prayer is a secret place where deity communes with dust, where the creator fellowships with the creature, and where God talks with man. Oh, that we would be men and women of prayer and utilize this wonderful discipline that God has given us in order to make a difference in our lives and the lives of people that we know and even in our country. And I love that still, love that hymn that we're going to be singing today. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Amen. Amen.
1: Thank you for joining us here at Hope and Faith Ministry, a broadcast of the historic People's Baptist Church in Boston. We pray that you have been touched and inspired by today's message. People's Baptist Church is a Christ-centered, caring church located at 134 Camden Street at the corner of Camden and Tremont Streets. Our Sunday services are at 10 a.m. You can reach us at 617-427-0424. Come visit us in person or on the web at www.pbcboston.org. And tune in every Saturday morning at 1030 for another inspiring message of hope and faith